This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to an episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. A little over four weeks away from the beginning of Jets training camp and Surprisingly, Michael, even though we're in the dead of the offseason, there's actually quite a bit of news to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, the Jets finally agreeing to a deal with Morgan Moses um, and a deal that I think you and I were expecting a lot higher for him. I think you and I both predicted six, seven million. He ends up signing um, for a lot less than that. What's your reaction to the deal and, and another great value signing from Joe Douglas? Yeah, I think the number is the most interesting aspect of signing Morgan Moses. I figured he would get a lot more considering um, the numbers that he put up last season, his durability over the past six years. Um, I thought he would definitely get a lot more, but this number makes things pretty interesting. I think it does seem like it still seems like he is going to slide in as that starting right tackle. But uh, at this number, I'm not sure it's as much of a guarantee as I thought it would be because that's pretty low. You know, that's around the same number that Greg Van Roten is getting, Dan Feeney is getting. Uh, so it's nothing remarkable, but there are playing time incentives. So it does seem like they have plans for him to have a chance to hit those incentives. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it, it does seem like what's most likely is that he slides in. Is that right tackle? Fant becomes your backup swing tackle, which is going to look weird on the cap sheet that you have Moses starting and Fant, who is going to be the sixth highest paid right tackle in the league this year at 9.8 million in terms of his cap hit, uh, have him as your backup. But it does seem like that's the route they're going to go, or they could just have them compete throughout this off season. Maybe they have a fair competition because 3.6 million to throw away on a competition on a one-year deal isn't the worst thing in the world. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they divvy it up with these two guys do they consider Moses at right guard like I've kind of been campaigning for? Um, and so they can leave George Fan at right tackle. Um, it will be a very intriguing thing to watch play out, but it's absolutely a positive thing um, without a doubt. Yeah, and if I'm going to be completely honest, the first thing that popped in my head, and this is going to seem completely unrelated, but let me explain because we talked a little bit about this last week. When that deal was announced that the Jets got Morgan Moses for, for such a, a cheap price, um, I, you know, it was just another example of Joe Douglas being a ninja, getting, thing, getting players well below market value, which we definitely aren't used to um, with the Jets. Um, but what it made me think of is, damn, Robert Sala must really love Jared Davis because he's the only player I can really think of that I think Joe Douglas has you know, overpaid, or at least, you know, the consensus would be that he got well paid well above market value. Every other signing has been either right at market value or below. So the fact that they went above for Jared Davis, even though he's, you know, freezing that I think you have some questions on a lot of people do makes me think, okay, he was definitely a high priority. He was the first one they signed. He Robert Solomon must see something in him. Um, but as far as Morgan Moses goes, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, you, the jets are doing literally everything they, they didn't do for Sam Darnold. Um, you know, it's just a shame that that was the timing of things for Darnold, but what a job Joe Douglas has done this off season, giving Zach Wilson a chance to succeed. It doesn't mean the jets are going to win the super bowl or hell even make the playoffs, but they should be a competitive team this year. Uh, and it all starts up front. They've done a really good job of, of keeping him upright and getting a running game going. You know, it's not the 2009 jets offensive line, but it's the, probably the best line they've had since then. And that blueprint of smash mouth football, play good defense and protect your rookie quarterback is Seems like what the Jets are going to try to implement, hopefully with a little bit more success through the air, especially with the weapons they've acquired. Um, before we get to a mailbag, there's one topic that I just didn't get asked and I think we should address because there's a little over two weeks away until the deadline to extend Marcus May. July 15th at 4 p.m., that's when you have to extend any players playing on the franchise tag or else they're going to play the, the 2021 season on that franchise tag deal. And Michael... I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, how do you feel about extending Marcus May? Because on the surface, I think a lot of fans are, are in favor of this. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala both said it's a priority. But at the same time, he is 28. He doesn't necessarily play a, a premium position. 
Um, but then there's also the factor of what he brings in the locker room and what a, an extension for a veteran player, especially a veteran leader and a guy I expect to be a captain this year may show the rest of the locker room. So how do you feel about the whole Marcus May situation with a little over two weeks to go? Yeah, I think I'm definitely strongly in favor of extending him because both the on and off field implications, I think, like you mentioned, we saw a clip, uh, I believe it was a bonus clip from Jeff Ulbrich from flight 2021 in which he talked about um, one of the things that stood out the most about Marcus May was not only what he does on the field, but the fact that when Ulbrich walked in the building and talked to people about May, just the reputation he has is very positive. A lot of people speak highly of him. Um, so that's really important, I think, as the Jets try to establish a culture like this. Uh, and obviously you don't pay guys just for the sake of that, to the pay guys to the extent that May is going to get paid just for the sake of that quality. But it's not like he's an average player who's a good leader. He was elite last season. And I think May is the kind of player who, in a very C.J. Mosley type of way, is makes an elite impact in a style that isn't all that flashy. He had his share of great plays last season, highlight real plays. But for the most part, I think what makes May really good is the fact that he just doesn't botch that many plays. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and that's what's really important when you're playing safety in the NFL. He doesn't miss a ton of tackles. He doesn't blow a lot of coverage responsibilities. He does his job, and the big plays come because he does his job. But for the most part, I think he's a star player because he executes his role and just does not get beat as much as most other safeties in the NFL do. So I think he is a star player. He's versatile. Um, I, I do think he is better as a deep safety um, playing single high or cover two than he is than uh, then he is as a strong safety playing in the box, manning up against tight ends, but he's not bad in that role. He is pretty good. So he does offer great versatility as well. I think he's exactly the type of player who's deserving of an extension. And you also want to establish that um, mindset to your team that if you perform, if you're a good citizen in the locker room, you're going to get rewarded. And that's exactly what Robert Sala talked about in his opening press conference, wanting to get these guys paid. Uh, and you're kind of, even though they didn't draft May and haven't been here for his tenure, it kind of wouldn't be living up to that to be frugal with him. So I think extending him really does line up with some of the values that they've established. Um, but with the clock ticking, I do wonder if it is going to happen or if they are going to play hardball. I kind of feel like it won't just because of how long it's taken and the fact that he has been showing up anyway. Um, but I'm definitely in favor of extending him not to whatever price it takes, but he's deserving of a very handsome deal. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of, of re-signing him as well. I do think there are some reasons why it might not get done. As I mentioned, he is 28 and next year he's going to be 29. So it's like, how long of a deal are you giving him? I think three years is probably fair. Um, and yeah, it's like, he's playing in a new system. So you don't necessarily know how he's going to fare. Although his skill set should presumably translate. Like you said, um, you know, you prefer him as a, as a, as a deep safety. And in this cover two system, a lot of times Robert Sala will have both safeties playing deep. He does have that versatility to play down in the box. But like you said, I think he's better in that free safety role. Um, I, I, I agree that I think the biggest thing is sending a message um, that if you perform, you're going to get taken care of. Um, I, I do. I do think it'll get done. I think a lot of this is just negotiating. We know uh, Joe Salas, uh, Joe Sala. There we go. Joe Douglas is going to draw his line in the sand and he's not going to really budge on it. And I think Marcus May's agent is trying to get him the best deal possible. I think it's going to get done right at the deadline. Um, as far as how much you would pay him. Um, it seems like the, the most comparable um, deal was the one that John Johnson signed um, with Cleveland uh, over the off season. Uh, which I think was for like $11 million or something a year, which was like a three-year deal. I think that makes a lot of sense. But the other thing to keep in mind is the longer the Jets wait, if a guy like Jamal Adams gets extended this summer, that number is just going to keep going up. I think Marcus May probably wants to top John Johnson. And the longer you wait, more safeties are going to get paid, especially his former partner in crime and Jamal Adams. I'm not saying that he's necessarily on Adams' level, but if Adams makes $18 million a year, hell, even if he gets $20 million a year, Marcus May is going to look around and be like, hey, I want more than 11 million a year. I want 14 million a year. I want 15 million a year. Um, so I think, I think the, the magic number is going to be somewhere around 12 and a half, 13 million. I think that's where it's going to get done um, for the Jets. Where do you think uh, they ultimately, if they do get a deal done, or I guess I'll rephrase the question. 
what would you offer as Joe Douglas? What would be your ceiling that you would offer before the deadline, before you just say, all right, screw it. We're just going to play him on the franchise tag this year. Yeah, I think I agree with you. That's probably a good range to put it in, probably in that 12, 13 range. If you look at the top safeties in the league in terms of average value per year, there's a little bit of gap. a gap. You have the top five in which Justin Simmons is number one at 15.3, then Buda Baker, Eddie Jackson, Kevin Byard, Landon Collins and Tyron Matthew are right behind him all between 14 and 14.8. Then at number seven, you have Devin McCourty at 11.5 and John Johnson 11.3 at number eight. So I think somewhere between those top two tiers is a fair place to slide him in probably 12, 13. Once you're, once you're starting to touch that 14 per year, then I might get a little bit hesitant, but at the same time, that's just sort of how contracts work in the NFL. If you're a great player, and you're in line for a new deal you're kind of if not if you're not setting the new record you're going to be close to it so I could see why May would feel like he deserves the same type of money as Landon Collins Kevin Byard even Buda Baker Eddie Jackson so I think it I can I can definitely see why the negotiations have been tough because looking at this leaderboard there's definitely a good argument in May's favor that he deserves to be right up there with everybody else but at the same time, there are legitimate questions um, in terms of his his age. Also, his he did struggle a little bit, strong safety at the beginning of last year with missed tackles, things like that. Um, will he fit? Not that not will he fit, but what is his importance in this defense? Ashton Davis is there. Um, so it's definitely it'll it'll be an interesting one to watch play out. But I agree with you. I'd probably try as the Jets to not get above that 12, 13 per year mark. Um, but I think May's going to push for it, so we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I think maybe with uh, incentives they can they can bump that up a little bit more. But I think it should be twelve to thirteen guaranteed per year for for three years. I wouldn't go past three years because at that point he's going to be thirty one, um, and I just don't think it makes much sense. Um, I guess we'll hop in the mailbag. We have a few other things to talk about, but they should just come up in the mailbag, and so we'll hop right into it. And Morgan Moses, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is the biggest topic this week. So we have two questions here. Um, one from at Mikey. 0516 who says okay you're george fant you see the news agent gm coach whatever they call him what do they say and what does he say how does this really play out and then he also asked does fant outplay moses in the scheme so i guess the first part of the question is you know how what are the jets saying to a guy like george fant who was a team captain last year um and i you know if you read his article that literally just came out on the jets website a few days prior to the Jets signing Morgan Moses, he's talking, I think the scheme was built for me. I'm manifesting the best year of my career. I think starting all those games last year has really helped me out. I'm feeling amazing, you know, et cetera. He seems in a really positive mindset of being the starting right tackle in this offense and specifically this scheme. And then the Jets go and, and sign a, a capable veteran in Morgan Moses. What do you think the Jets communicate to him? And how do you think George Fant responds to this? Do you think potentially Joe Douglas looks at George Fant's contract, looks at Morgan Moses's contract and says, Hey George, it, maybe you could take a pay cut for us. Or do you think at that point, you know, George Fant might feel a little disrespected. Yeah, this has definitely got to be an awkward one for George Fant, especially because he's very much sort of how you mentioned um, Jared Davis as being their, you know, their guy type of signing this year, because he clearly got paid the most above expectation versus anybody else they signed. So last year, that guy is George Fant. Um, so he's Joe Douglas's guy. So it's definitely interesting that after a debut season, that doesn't bode well for Gerard Davis then. Yeah, that definitely doesn't <laughs> because, you know, it definitely is a hit to that. You know, the fact that it, it could seem like, you know, I'm investing in you, but if you have one, I'll, I'll trust, year, I'll, I'll trust Robert Sala loving a linebacker over Adam Gase loving an offensive lineman. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, it's definitely got to be awkward, but I'm sure they have a plan in mind for him. I feel like, this is a regime that as odd that this is for George Fan, I feel like that they're upfront with him and sort of said, look, this is our plan for you. You're going to be your top swing tackle. We won't restructure your contract. Maybe, maybe they even say that just, you know, to give some more comfort, be fair to him. Um, Cause they don't, I guess they don't necessarily need to right now with their cap space and how fairly cheap they got Moses for. Um, yeah. Maybe they do pitch to him that he'll have that tight end role that he played in Seattle. <laughs> um, so I don't know, but this is that's got to be an interesting one to handle, right? Close to that. I guess it's not like telling a guy he's getting cut, but it's odd because George Fant was this well, is a good scheme fit for him. I think 
Um, he had a good chance to succeed as a starter here. So if they are telling him he's not going to start, I'm sure that there was some awkward energy there. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I actually don't think Joe Douglas goes for a pay cut here because I think it cushions the blow to say, look, George, you're still going to end up playing in all of our games for the most part. And hell, you'll probably start quite a few as well. Just with the injury situation, you don't know how durable Becton's going to be. Hopefully he just plays every single game. Um, you know, going to the second part of the question, maybe Morgan Moses struggles a little bit in this system. He did only get three and a half million and he was just cut from, from the Washington football team. And last year was kind of his coming out party before that Moses was an, you know, an average veteran, I I guess I would say. And if Moses struggles a little bit in in the outside wide zone system, you know, with the athleticism that's required to play the tackle spot, maybe Fant does end up playing more. Um, uh, I get, yeah, I guess, how do you feel? Uh, You've been a big proponent and I guess we'll hop into the second question that was submitted from at C26 underscore big, which said any chance Moses plays right guard, he didn't sign for a high cap number fan is getting paid double. And this is, you've been on this, this bandwagon for a while that uh, Morgan Moses is going to be here for, uh, or should be here as a right guard. Damian Woody came out and said, there's no way that happens. But then when you look at the contract he signed, cause does kind of line up with, with more guard numbers than tackle numbers, I guess, how do you see it? You know, uh, maybe it's just, um, a lack of information, but I will say all the people that are reporting it, you know, we're saying on oh, the jets got their right tackle. So I don't know if that's necessarily a report that he's going to play right tackle as much as it's just a presumption. Um, but just how do you see the, the Fant Moses dynamic playing out in training camp as far as their scheme fits? Yeah. I, I think the possibility of a competition is still there. Um, like you mentioned the fact that um, most of the reporters that are putting it out there, were kind of saying like jets got their right tackle. Um, that's pretty telling, but at the same time, they could just be saying that and not really have any information to base it off of. They're just kind of assuming it, but it, it's something to note. Um, but like we said earlier, I think the number makes this really interesting. If he got 8 million guaranteed somewhere around there, like we were projecting, I think on one of our recent episodes, then it would be clear that I think you're sliding him right in. But at this number, there's no harm in having Moses as a backup, throwing him about 4 million guaranteed for this year just for him to be back up you can be okay with that so I think that the competition idea is still in play the right guard idea is still in play I wouldn't rule out any of that just yet so we'll see what happens in training camp perhaps that they pitch to fan that this is just to push him um, from a competition standpoint so we'll see what happens but um, in terms of the skill sets I really do think um, the Moses at right guard and fan right tackle idea is the best one because I think Moses can play guard really effectively. And I don't think fan can play guard effectively, but um, it will be interesting to see what they do because I think Moses at guard, his, his size, his power, his ability to, because I think his in pass protection, he's at his best against bull rushes, inside moves, stuff he would see a lot against defensive tackles. And he struggles more against the speedier, faster guys who can beat him around the edge with a rip move, a cross chop, or just straight up speed, bend the corner. That's what he struggles struggles with. So I think he could project well to the inside. Um, whereas Fant's athleticism on the edge is a really good fit. And it's not that Moses can't do that. He does have some really good kick out blocks on the move on the edge. He can do it in spite of his poor athletic numbers and overall reputation, but I do think he's better with some of the responsibilities he would have as a guard. So that's my take on it, but we'll see if it does play out that way. Yeah. The simple way to look at it is right now, you'd probably say just on paper, Morgan Moses is the better right tackle than George Fant. But when you factor in the scheme fit and projection wise, it does kind of seem like, Hey, maybe Moses would project more favorably to guard and Fant more favorably to tackle, especially in this scene, in this scheme. Uh, Definitely thing to keep an eye out for. I, I do think that, He'll get some reps at guard in training camp. I think that the plan right now is probably to try to play him a tackle, but I, I wouldn't doubt that he does kind of move around a little bit in training camp. Cause like you said, I mean, he is only getting paid three and a half million and, and Fant is getting paid. I believe it's 7 million this year, 8 million 9. this year, 9.8 million this year, which, you know, he probably should get a pay cut, especially if Crowder took a pay cut. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, Moses numbers. I think that's line. another interesting point. Crowder in terms of the pay cut. I because we talked about sending a message backing up um what you pitched to your players in terms of helping them. I think back to back uh forcing well, not forcing, but having back to back restructures 
might not be the mess, best message to the locker room. It kind of gives up, gives off a little bit of a, a cheap mental, uh, mindset. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. You there, obviously there's, it pays to be stingy and not, you know, be constantly overpaying free agents like Mike McCagnan was, but yeah, you don't want to develop a reputation in your locker room as being, you know, cheap um, and greedy. I think it's a good thing to have a line in the sand and, you know, not necessarily always go over it, but yeah, a guy like George fan who you just signed somebody to most likely replace him. I don't think you need to get recuperate two or $3 million and try to, you know, who you can get rid of next year pretty easily. Anyway. Right. Exactly. Just take, you know, and especially since the jets, I believe are still second in, in the league in cap space. I think it does pay to, to reward your players and not always have to fight for every single penny. Um, but it is interesting to note to Moses that, I mean, he's barely making more than Greg fan Roden or Alex Lewis, who are both guards and, potentially backup guards. I mean, depending on where they play Moses, uh, I think that guard, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, especially when you look at the, the numbers, the guard possibility really is there. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I, I would still say I would expect him to play right tackle, but I, I, I wouldn't be completely shocked. If Moses does play right tackle, who do you think is the favorite to win that right guard spot? I would probably, that's a tough one. I would probably give fans the edge just because of the cap number. I think the implications of Joe Douglas kind of sending the message with what he paid fan uh, that he really believes in his film and his upside uh, and the scheme fit. So I would probably give, if it's an open competition, I'm going to take fan, but we'll see if the Moses edition is that, or if it's, we don't think fan played that great last year. We want a surefire upgrade. Let's wait, wait. Guy so you're saying, you're saying you think fan would play at guard. I, I'm saying that, I thought attack. you said okay. no, no. I said I said if, if Moses, no, no, no. Okay, well, that's another question, but which is actually a surprising answer. So I do kind of want to follow up on that. But the original question was if Moses is handed the right tackle spot, who okay. do you think wins that right guard spot? Yeah. Okay. I I think it would. I think Greg Van Roten is going to start a right guard. I would love any, to any say hope Cam for Cam. Clark, yeah. <laughs> any hope for Cam Clark? It's, we just haven't gotten any reason to be hopeful yet. Although it's hard for an O lineman to stand out in OTAs or mini camp. We'll see what he does in camp and preseason. Hopefully he balls out in preseason and can make that claim, but I'm going to stick with Greg Van Roten. I think he did a decent job last year. Um, I think Dan Feeney will be in that mix. Although I think he just ends up as the backup center or really just backup interior O-lineman. He could play guard or tackle, but I'm going to go with Greg Van Roten right now. I think out of all those guys, Van Roten on paper is the best scheme fit outside of, I guess, maybe Moses, um, just because he's played in that wide zone offense before. But, yeah, I'm really hoping Cam Clark can maybe make a push for it. It is You have to do have to remember, he's a fourth-round pick, so it's not like he was a complete late-round just afterthought. He was a guy that the Jets in many ways prioritized, um, and Joe Douglas has spoken very highly of, so I'm hoping he can make some sort of impact. Um, the other thing is if the Jets do keep Moses, and this is kind of kind of bleed into our next question, if the Jets do keep Moses at right tackle and they play Van Roden or whoever at right guard, you've talked about obviously Fant is a terrific swing tackle. He's pretty much everything you'd look for in a swing tackle in this offense. You talked about maybe using him in that, that tight end role that, that Seattle used, which is a bit ridiculous. But I do think, and I, I guess I'll bleed right into this question from at DTSN, Jets Dan, I don't think people are concerned enough with the tight end position. If Herndon falters, we have nothing but injury prone tight end twos and undrafted free agents at depth. Could you see JD making a big move at tight end via trade somehow to address it? If training camp shows out badly for the tight end group going off that, I do think that this tight end room is not very strong. It's probably the weakest position on the whole offense, unless you're counting backup quarterback. Um, I like Herndon, but obviously last year was a bit of a letdown. If the Jets are going to run their two tight end sets, I mean, obviously, it sounds like Wesco is going to be more of the fullback. I guess they have Croft, but if they if one of them goes down and they're looking to be in that 12 personnel offense, it does kind of make sense to just have your swing tackle out there as, as a faux tight end in, in George Fant, especially he has the athleticism and he's done it. Um, I guess talk about the, the – or at least how do you feel George Fant can um, – or a good swing tackle um, can, can address kind of your, your issues at tight end, especially the blocking depth there. And then do you think Joe Douglas could make a move um, in free agency or whether it be a, a trade or signing somebody right before the season um, to fill out that tight end position? Well, I think in terms of fan at tight end, we're using, we are using the term tight end to describe what he did, but it's really not that he's just sort of a sixth offensive lineman because he's not involved 
in catching passes. Obviously, there was that one famous pass that he caught. Hey, he had a few. Where he got tackled by the turf monster, but that's why he's not catching passes. But he played um, about 15 snaps a game in that role from 2018 to 19 for the Seahawks in games where he wasn't starting on the offensive line. He played as many – he had one game where he played 41 snaps just rotating in as a sixth lineman against the Vikings in 2019. So he was on the field a lot, and they really trusted him in that role over in Seattle. And he did a pretty good job. You could really see his athleticism on the front side of outside zone runs uh, when he was playing that role. Sometimes they would even just throw him in at left or right tackle, and they would kick out the starting tackle to tight end. Um, So they used him in a lot of unique ways as a blocker in that role. You're not giving him the football, but as a blocker, he can do a lot of stuff. And, and that's a hole that he can plug on this unit because the blocking on this group isn't great. Tyler Croft, good blocker. He helps them in this area for sure. But beyond that, Chris Herndon, good pass protector. He's very good at that. Uh, he pass blocked more than any other tight end in the league last year. And I know Gase got some criticism for that, but I think it's for good reason because Chris Herndon is a pretty good pass protector. He was as a rookie and he was again this past year. But run blocking... Chris Herndon isn't awesome in that area. I don't think he's awful, but he knows where to be as a run blocker. He can get there, but he doesn't move people as a run blocker really at all. So I think uh, in the run game, George Fant can definitely fill some holes there. And also the other guys, Ryan Griffin, not a good blocker. Daniel Brown, not a good blocker. And you have Wesco, who, like you said, will probably will be playing tight end. Uh, Full back. Um, But I do think George Fant can – sort of help fill some of the run game run blocking deficiencies on this unit. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it, you, you made a good qualification there that because the question I guess is more about um, because the jets have such a, a weakness at that, that tight end spot. And I guess I shouldn't say such a weakness, just, you know, we don't really know what Chris Herndon is like you mentioned, Tyler Croft is good, but he's not a starter, but he might start for this team anyways. Um, I think you can quell some of those issues at blocking tight end and your tend- tight end depth by having a really good swing tackle. Because when you would sometimes go to 12 personnel and have a tight end blocking, you could just, instead of doing two tight ends, have one tight end and then put George Fan out there. So I think the, the, the value of a swing tackle actually really does help this unit um, if they want to get to, you know, you know, Shanahan loves his you know, pro personnel or his big jumbo personnel run blocking formations. And I think you're going to see the jets go with six off six offensive linemen a lot. If Moses is playing right tackle and fan is the swing tackle. I think he'll still get in the field plenty of times for Matt, AKA whatever one, how does the tight end room shake out? And what are reasonable expectations for this year? Numbers wise, you know, I have to be honest. I've been very optimistic about a lot of things in this team. And, and Chris Herndon is, is one of them that I still do believe in, but I think what you learn every off season is that not everything's going to go your way. Clearly um, a lot of things aren't probably more so than you're expecting, especially if you look at the podcast we were doing last year, I don't think either of us thought that they were going to be as bad as they ultimately were. Um, so, you know, something has to not go the jets way and Chris Herndon would make a lot of sense, but I will say he did have a nice stretch at the end of the season. I love what he did in 2018. He showed a lot of promise. This is a terrific offense. Um, for him he certainly has the opportunity to shine I think the whole offense the offense as a whole is better he's in a new under new coaching staff so whatever mental funk he was in I mean there's certainly potential for him to kind of get out of this rut Um, and you know of course he was he was invited to George Kittle's tight end U Uh, so were 48 other tight ends though so I don't know how special of an honor that is but you know maybe he'll pick up something there and like you said, he's a good pass blocker. So I, I do think he'll ultimately be the starter, even though there were some rumblings that maybe um, Croft had overtaken him in, in mini camp. Um, uh, Michael, what do you expect from Chris Herndon this year and, and the tight end room from a whole? I think that if we're going to be pragmatic and not be super optimistic about everything, then tight end is the position we probably have to look at and say, I think things aren't going to pan out great there. That doesn't mean there's no chance. It'll pan out. Chris Herndon loved the guy after 2018. I thought he had top 10 potential. So there's no reason to think that he doesn't still have somewhat of a possibility to fulfill that. Kenny Aboa, interesting receiving prospect. I like Tyler Croft and what uh, what Tyler Croft and Trevon Besco can do as blockers. This group has potential. But if we're being completely honest, this is probably one of the worst tight end groups in the league on paper. So and, and the Jets have so much talent at wide receiver that 
I think they're probably going to continue to rely on this position very little in the passing game with good reason because of how much talent they have uh, at the wide receiver position. But uh, I think this group's productivity is going to come down a lot more to blocking for that reason, because they're not going to be targeted all that much because I think it's going to be really wide receiver heavy. Um, As long as they can run block effectively, pass block effectively, I think it can be a unit that gets a job done and, I think they can do that. I'm, I'm starting to steer optimistic now. I, I'm here. We go with the optimism. I'm just. I started started this off by saying this is going to be the one position I'm going to be pessimistic about, and now I'm slowly convincing myself. So I, I'm going to take a name of the podcast here. I'm going to cool my jets a little bit. In terms of receiving, yeah. I think this this group is going to do pretty much nothing. I think it's it, even with Herndon there. I don't think we're going to see much in the passing game with this group, even with Herndon, but. I do think if Herndon continues to pass block well, if Tyler Croft can run block well, like he has the past few years, and maybe you throw Fant in there and what he can do as essentially a tight end, um, then I think this group can really get the job done in terms of blocking and make a positive impact in that way. But I'm, I'm going to try and stay away from buying into Chris Herndon after drafting him in fantasy the last two years. Oh, that's tough. Um, yeah, you a should have a bit of a personal vendetta. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say you should have a little bit more hatred towards him. I guess I would just say, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that if you're looking at things objectively, the tight end spot is, is the weakest spot on this offense. Um, uh, there's potential for Chris Herndon to really come through and, and be that tight end we thought he was going to be. And look, he did do a lot better towards the end of the season. He had some, some pretty crazy touchdown catches that he doesn't really get any credit for. Um, but even though statistically it was worse than his rookie year, it wasn't his rookie year was good for a rookie, but maybe that's all he is. Maybe that was Chris Hernan, you know, really hitting his ceiling, which is, I guess, hard to say in a Jeremy Bates offense with, with Sam Darnold as his quarterback. But I, I guess it's like Chris Hernan has been very overhyped by Jets fans for that 2018 season, which was a legitimately great rookie tight end season, but he hasn't shown anything past that. He was obviously injured last year, two years ago. And then last year he was just immensely in a funk i guess the one thing that gives me hope is that apparently he was dominating training camp last year if that counts for anything you know i know the jets dbs weren't necessarily amazing last year but i think there's potential there for him but whether or not he'll reach it um i don't know i'm not i'm not going to count on him reaching it but this is the offense for him to do it um i think tyler croft is going to be the the steady consistent guy in this unit i think he's the one guy that's like you know, I, I could ultimately see him starting by the, by the end of the year just for what he brings as a blocker. But if you're going to have one position on this unit that isn't really that good, um, tight end would be the one. I mean, how the Jets almost made the playoffs in 2015 with, with Kellen Davis starting a tight end. So, you know, if Tyler Croft can bring anything as a run blocker, if Chris Hernan brings anything as a pass blocker, I guess we can throw Trayvon Wesco in there as a fullback. I don't expect that experiment to go amazingly well, but I think he can do, he can fulfill the role for a season and maybe Chris Hernan can bring something in the, the passing game this unit won't be a complete shit show, but as far as expectations, you know, I think probably a similar, oh, probably I would say Chris Hernan will put up better numbers than last year, but probably more similar to his rookie year where he had 500 yards and, and four TDs. I think, you know, maybe 400 yards and four TDs, something around there. And then, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Croft does start ultimately a, a lot of the games, Michael, I guess, statistically, how do you see this unit shaking out? I, I think I'll fall for Herndon somewhere I think in terms of totals, he'll be close to where he was in 2020. He had 287 yards, three touchdowns, 31 catches, but I think he'll do it more efficiently because that was really bad efficiency. He had uh, five drops. He had two fumbles and putting up the numbers that he put up on 45 targets isn't good. That's less than six and a half yards per target, which is bad. So I think he'll put up similar totals, but I think the volume is going to be lower. So he'll do it more efficiently efficiently so let's say he gets probably instead of 45 targets maybe only I do think his usage is going to go down just because of the wide receiver um, talent even in comparison to last year so I guess let's just say he gets around uh, 35-40 targets is a little bit more efficient gets up to 350 in terms of yards Um, so somewhere around there I think he'll have similar production but more efficiently Croft will probably do what he usually does give you 100 to 200 one or two touchdowns. Um, and then outside of that, I don't know if they're going to get much else. It's just yeah, really no, not, not an intriguing all. group. Not at all. Um, I, think, I, I think a, a point 
that's important with tight end is that it's the best position to be bad at in the, yeah. in terms of offense or defense. It's definitely the best because it's the only position that you can really hide. Like you can use tight ends as much or as little as you want. And there's no other position in the game where you can really do that to the same extent. So it's, if you have a great tight end, it's a huge difference maker. And if you have a tight end out there doing what Chris Herndon did last year, it's a huge killer, but it is a position that you can, if you're not talented there, you can really decrease how much you use it. So you right. can hide it to an extent. Especially how deep the Jets are at receiver. They, they don't yeah. have to use tight end as much like you're saying. I, I do think that is that is a legitimate argument. Who do you think starts more games, Herndon or Croft? I'm, I'm going to go with Croft, I think. All right. It'll be Some close, negativity though, like, on this podcast for once. I, I feel like it's going to be – because tight end starts are weird because they – because they don't play every down they don't like your starting tight end might not even start some games in terms of the credit that he gets just because he's not out there at the beginning of the game um but so i i feel like it might let's just say i'm gonna go in the middle i think herndon and croft both get eight starts dead even all right i like it yeah i I would say pretty close i yeah i could see something similar where i think herndon may start a little bit more towards the beginning of the season and then croft might take over towards the end if herndon doesn't show up but herndon definitely has the ceiling and the athleticism and the potential to really you know become a above average tight end but yeah you know for sure so i mean so does kenny but yeboa i guess body type wise i mean you're looking for athleticism at the position and that's certainly what, what chris herndon brings his rookie season was impressive but you know that consistency last year was was pretty brutal um, at Cuomo show, finish the sentence without saying Zach Wilson, the Jets will make them, the Jets will make the playoffs if, and then you, no, you should read it how, how it was. It was the Jets will make them playoffs. Oh, the Jets will make them playoffs if. <laughs> so back to our regularly scheduled way beyond optimistic programming. I guess we're going playoff predictions here. Um, Michael, how do the Jets make the playoffs? And you can't say Zach Wilson. I think the best way to finish this sentence would be the first thing that came to mind for me is the Jets will make them playoffs if the pass rush is top five. I think that is going to be, I think a dominant defense is their path to the playoffs this year. So, and I think that all starts with the pass rush. So that's what came to mind first for me. Yeah. I, I was literally thinking the same thing, but on the flip side, I was going to say a top five offensive line, hell even a top 10 offensive line, because that just opens up everything for the yeah, offense. That's a good one too. Because I don't even have to say his name, but obviously it's going to help your rookie quarterback, but even which is a massive difference, especially for your receivers and your tight ends as well. But also it's going to open up lanes for your running game, which is going to affect your passing game, which is going to keep you on the field longer, which is going to help out your defense. So a great offensive line uh, is a really big deal, especially when you get towards November, December, when you're in those games, you're vying for playoffs, that cold weather football in New York. If you can run the football, manage the clock, keep that other quarterback off the field, protect your rookie quarterback. That's the path. That's the, the Jets path to the playoff. Just look at 2009. Um, but I agree with you. It just starts with the trenches for the Jets. Offensive, defensive line. If they are as good as they can be, because the Jets have invested plenty of assets this past season into them, I think the Jets have a, a, maybe a shot. But it's not my expectations um, for them to, to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, the offensive line was definitely my second choice because I think – the defense is going to lead the team, but the defense isn't going to carry them to the playoffs if this offense is terrible. This offense has to be okay. It has to be like a 20th ranked offense or better for an elite defense to carry them to the playoffs. And if they're going to do that, it's going to happen because of the O-line. Yeah, the way I look at it is like as a fan, and I know there's probably many fans listening to this, like, hey, maybe the Jets could sneak in. There's seven teams. It's a, it's a weaker schedule. I think there's certainly a chance, um, but I don't want to be uh, – irresponsible and try to try to predict that I, I guess here's what I do think will happen and this is all I want from the Jets this year is just just be competitive just just put us in the in the bubble graphics when we're in like week 14 and week, week 15 even if we're at the bottom of the in the hunt just just make it a fun season I don't want the season to be over by October so if the Jets can manage to do that which I think they will I think they'll get I think they'll hover around 500 all all season long win a game lose a game win a game lose a game that type of thing um, if they could just kind of manage that you know, I'll, I'll be fine if the wheels fall off and they lose the last two games against Tom Brady and then Josh Allen, whatever. They don't have to make the playoffs for this to be a successful season. Just, just make it, make it fun. But you know, 
the, the Jets certainly have the potential more so than any other year in, in, in the past few uh, seasons to actually make a legitimate run. Um, from at Marco B-H-O-Y, there we go, 1986. Um, hope we still add a veteran quarterback, but out with that, do you think we will add any other positions before players are cut? Cheers. Um, well, Mark, um, Michael, can you explain what this question means? <laughs> is, he, wait, is he saying, do you think we'll add another veteran that's not a quarterback, a cornerback? Hope we still add a veteran quarterback, but out with that, do you think we will add any other positions before players I, are cut. I think okay. It, yeah. I yeah. Think okay. Asked, so he's okay, okay. Before training camp. I sorry. It took me a second there before train. I didn't read these beforehand before training camp. Um, you know, do you think the jets could, could add anybody? Um, I, I think, I think it's possible. Michael, what about you? I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't expect them to, I, if you had to make, if you're asking for a guess, I would say this is the roster the jets are going to training camp with. I do, however, think the jets will make some moves um, with some, um, you know, with the, the, 53-man roster cut down, some guys slip through on the waiver wire um, when teams are trying to get guys in their practice squad. After you, Especially this season when you have three preseason games. Last year, the Jets didn't have that opportunity, and so they didn't make any moves, I don't believe, last year. The year before that, the Jets made plenty of moves, including Braxton Barrios and John Franklin Myers. I think you'll see a similar um, strategy. I think Joe Douglas likes to utilize every avenue to improve the team. So I think the, the roster – I think there will be more players on this team um, – at least two or three that aren't on it right now. That'll make the 53 man roster before week one, but I don't think it happens for training camp, but I think it happens in that, that, that cut down period. Mike, what about you? Yeah. I don't think that there will be outside of cornerback, which is the question here. Will they add someone at a position other than the cornerback prior to cut downs uh, near the start of the season? I don't think so. I think that the cornerback is probably still on the table, whether it's Nelson or Sherman or even someone else we're not talking about. Um, I think that's probably probably still on the table. I'm leaning towards no. It seems like that they're confident in their ability to develop the young guys they have, and that's the direction they want to go. And there are a lot of reasons to think they can do that effectively, both because of the reputations of this coaching staff from Tony Oden on down, um, and also the fact that you have a good pass rush up front making their jobs easier. Um, I think they believe in that. But those guys are still out there, and I think that they definitely will consider it. But if it does happen, it'll probably be really late. But outside of cornerback, uh, I don't think anything else will happen. Moses was a rare case where you had uh, a good starter cut at the time in the middle of the offseason at a position of need for the team. So that's definitely something worth using the cap space to jump on. But um, as of right now, I don't think there's anyone else who – would be uh, in the mix outside of cornerback, but you could see another Morgan Moses like yeah. cut at some point over the next couple of weeks. It, especially if it's at tight end. Yeah. You know, especially if it got maybe like Zach Ertz or something, if he just gets cut finally and said if they can't work out a trade. Um, so I don't think so, but you never know um, from at Joe record. What are re- your realistic sack totals that players in this defense put up next year, Michael? Uh, well, it looks like you threw it right to Mr. Yeah. Sacks don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but right, we'll, of- we'll lay it out. Let's go. Carl Lawson, you, you, five sacks last year. Um, I guess we can do this a little bit together to, to save some time here. Carl Lawson, five sacks last year. I think that's obviously going to go up. What do you think is a fair number for him this year? I I think I think he'll hit eight sacks this year. I, I don't. Mm. He can be a really high sack digit guy. Didn't Jordan because, Jenkins get ten sacks one year? I think eight was his peak. Um, but Carl Lawson should be, you know, I am going to go into double digits. Uh, yeah. I'm thank gonna, you. I was about to say I, eight sacks. I, I, I mean. watch Carl Lawson play and I don't see a five and a half sack guy. I see a guy who is dominating his guys, his matchup so quickly that it's hard for him to get sacks because he's instantly in the quarterback's face. So they see it and get rid of the ball right away. Um, he played on defense where he had a higher portion of his team's pass rush production than anyone else in the league. So he had no help. He's going to have a lot more help here. Um, I think this guy is too good to keep putting up five sacks a year. So I'm going to be bold. I'm going to put him at 12. All right. That's, I was a little higher than I was thinking because I think the guy you should look at is Nick Bosa, who played the exact same role that Carl Lawson's going to be playing this year, that Leo role in this Robert Sala defense, Jeff Holbrook defense, whatever you want to call it. Nick Bosa had nine sacks his rookie year. Um, 
and we forced fumble. You know, he, he had a good season, obviously. He was a, a renowned player. He only uh, he only started 14 games, which I guess is uh, – if we're assuming Carl Lawson plays all 16 games, especially playing next to Quinton Williams, I think, I think he hits 10 sacks. I would well, say Bo- I think – Bosa also had uh, four sacks in three playoff games. So, overall, he had 13 and 19 games. So, he clearly caught – yeah, I guess that's that's a fair point to make. He was a rookie, so he – you know, maybe caught fire more towards the end of his yeah. rookie season as he's got more reps in. Lawson's a veteran, and Lawson's a very good pass rusher, even if he doesn't have the sacks to back it up because of the situation he was in with Cincinnati last year. I don't think he's ever going to be a – well, I don't even want to say that because Shaq Barrett, if you remember, was a free agent a few years ago from Denver, and I think he only had three or four sacks. And then he goes to, to Tampa Bay, and he puts up 18 sacks. So I don't think there's really a limit on – it's all about situation for these guys. We talked about how sacks is, is actually a team stat – uh, in many ways. Um, I think he clears 10 for sure. I, I could see 12, Michael. I could, I could definitely see him going 12 or 13 or something like that. I'll be safe for now. I'll try to temper my expectations and go 10. I think he eats that double digits. Now, when you look at Quinnen, interior defensive lineman, three tech, different situation than a guy like Carl Lawson. You'd assume Lawson would lead the team in sacks. So if you have, have Lawson at 12, what do you have Quinnen doing? I think before I get to Quinnen, I think I'm going to agree with you and push Lawson down to 10. I think that's a little more realistic. Um, I, but I, I don't think it's necessarily impossible. I do yeah, think this Jets D line is really good, but I, I think it's just a better middle. Especially, ground. especially when you look at the offensive lines the Jets are playing. I, I do think there's a, there's a few opportunities for him to get two sacks a game or something like that, and a few different games. I, I don't think 12 is unrealistic. I'm just trying to be as, as you know, even keeled as possible. I'll give him 10. Yeah. 10 was my first instinct. Then I just kind of got wild with it. So I'll just, go, I'll just go back to 10, but with Quinnen, Quinnen is another interesting one. He's another guy who you look at and think um, there's no reason this guy can't put up a lot more sacks than he has. Even with the seven last year, I feel like he's better than that. Um, although he did it in only 13 games. So I, especially the way he finished the season, I feel like if he played, um, those three games, uh, well, he missed two games near the end of the season. He missed one earlier. Um, but I think that he would have, if he played those last, oh, those final two games, he probably would have added another one or two. So I don't know. It's interesting because you always kind of project things as if they're just players are just going to keep trending in the same direction. Okay, he added five sacks this year. He's going to add another five sacks next year. And it doesn't always work that way. But I think Williams does have – the potential to do more. Um, I, I think this is right around the range he's going to be in consistently. So I'm going to give him, I'll give him eight. I think that's the number he'll be at. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, Eric Armstead had 10 and DeForest Buckner had seven and a half. I think eight or nine is fair for Quinnen. Um, just like Carl, I could see him going higher, but if we're going to be, try to be optimistic, but not, not crazy, I think 10 for Carl Lawson, eight for Quinnen Williams is fair. Now, it's interesting who we go with next because I think this is a question in its own right. Who do you think is the third pass rushing option for this team? Obviously, you have a guy in John Franklin Myers who, friend of the podcast, who you and I both think is a really damn good football player. We're still kind of unsure where he's going to play. Is he going to be more of a rotational interior defensive lineman? Are the Jets going to try to bump him out to, to defensive end and start opposite Carl Lawson? That way he might get more reps. Um, then there's an, op- an option in Sheldon Rankins, who is a damn good football player in his own right, struggled with some injuries the last last few years, but I think he's in a perfect situation in this solid defense um, to start next to Quinton Williams, especially on third down and passing stats, and get plenty of sacks. The Jets brought in Vinnie Curry, who right now seems like the presumptive starter upside of Carl Lawson. I think that's probably all the top options. There's a few other guys, you know, Jabari Zuniga, Lorenzo Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard. There's some good depth of this unit, but looking between Franklin Myers, Vinnie Curry, and Sheldon Rankins, who do you think is the next guy? And then we'll, we'll stop the question there um, uh, to lead the Jets and Sacks. Yeah, and, and it's just really exciting hearing you lay out all those names, how many good pass rushers this team has. It's because we, it feels like we talked about defensive line talent on this team as a strength for all of eternity, but it was never really in a pass rushing way. It was mostly just based on run defense, hustle, just right. but not pass rushing. And, but I, now, and I left out Ronald Blair, Kyle Phillips, and Bryce Huff too, by the way. Yeah, and now it's like these are guys who can win and create pressure. 
And it's really exciting how many guys they have who can do that. Um, but I think the number three guy for me is definitely John Franklin Myers. Will he be number three in sacks? I don't know about that because he hasn't been a great sack artist so far. He only has five in his two seasons. But in terms of pressure and getting to the quarterback, he's fantastic. He was elite last season, third among interior D linemen in terms of pressure rate, the percentage of his passer snaps, recreate pressure. Only Aaron Donald and Stefan Tuitt were ahead of him. So I feel like he does have a good chance to have his sacks catch up to the pressures next season and maybe put up six or seven rank third on the team. Um, And by the way, if you did, if your third leading sack guy gets six or seven sacks, then you have a ridiculous pass rush. So it would be great if that could happen, but there are a lot of candidates here. Curry could do it. Um, I don't think Curry has a great chance because he's probably not going to play too much. He's more of a rotational guy who will play like 30, 40% of the snaps. Um, But he had five sacks in 2019. So that could be third most Rankins definitely in terms of peak talent, Rankins is probably the third most talented defensive lineman on this team. Uh, well, front seven player, or yeah, defensive lineman behind Lawson uh, and Quinnen. But can he get back to that 2017 to 18 peak, or is he just a pretty good player like he was the past couple of years? Um, I'm going to stick with my guy, JFM, though. I think he is definitely really overdue to get a lot of big plays coming his way next year. Yeah, I think the thing that John Franklin Myers gets over Sheldon Rankins, who I also think will have a great season. I think this is, like you said, the strength of this team. Um, and I do think they'll have a, a, a really good pass rush. I think Franklin Myers is going to play at least first down at, at defensive end. I do think he's going to end up starting over Vinnie Curry. At least first or second down rundowns, they can play John Franklin Myers at defensive end, more in that five-tech role, which we'll see how it works out. Um, you know, we, we know Ulbrich and, and Sala like those bigger defensive ends, especially when you're sticking your base personnel. And then I think on third down, that's where you're going to like to see the Jets slide him inside. The problem is they already have Sheldon Rankin. So maybe he's not even on the field on third down. Um, so then it's like, I guess on third downs, Vinny Curry comes in as the pass rushing specialist. Um, what I'm trying to say here is I think by the end of the season, you're going to see John Frank- Franklin Myers getting the majority of the reps at defensive end, because I think he's too talented to take off the field. And I think he may even play all three downs on the field. I think sometimes you might, might slide him inside more. The jets might do some fun things with their personnel to try to, to crowd the insides. Um, but I think John Franklin Myers is going to definitely carve himself out a nice role. I think by, by the mid season point, your starting lineup is going to be John Franklin Myers um, and, and Carl Lawson at defensive end. And, um, Quinn and then Sheldon Rankins at defensive tackle with Fuller on Zafatakasi mixing in on, on run situations. Um, but because of that, because he's going to play a lot more of that end position in my eyes, I think he's going to have a little bit more opportunities to get sacks working against tackles, you know, bending around the corner. Like you said, I think I see him getting maybe five sacks and I think Sheldon Rankins does something similar four to five sacks as well, um, which is a damn good pass rush, especially given a lot of the depth the jets have maybe a lot of guys, hopefully will pick up one to two sacks as well. I think this is a, is a damn good unit for the Jets. Like a legitimately great unit for this team, which the Jets have not had many legitimate great units. Um, I think that's the only unit you could say right now is a legitimate great unit. I love the offensive line, but I think they still need to prove themselves a little bit more before you can declare them legitimately great. Um, there's still questions at right guard. We don't know how Connor McGovern, right tackle, whatever. There's a rookie there, Beckton's health, et cetera. The defensive line doesn't have many question marks in my eyes. I think this is a really damn good unit. I think they may get hindered a little bit on their sack numbers because of the lack of corners, but I think the scheme will make up for that. And so I think they'll ultimately do pretty good um, there. From at Andrew Golden underscore 17, the most underrated Jet of all time. I'll be honest, Mike, I was looking at this question for a while and I, I'm struggling to think of an answer here because there's, it's hard to, to quantify most underrated. There seems to be plenty of good underrated players for this team that, you know, don't ever really get the shine that they deserve, but to say the most underrated, which means they has to be so good yet gets no recognition. I don't know which player that would necessarily represent. Who do you have an answer here? Do you want me to, to, to go ahead? I I mean, I guess the best answers would probably be some of, if you want to go really old school, probably like some of the historical offensive linemen from the sixties and seventies, They've, they had some really good – and even the 80s, they had some really good offensive linemen who played for a long time and played well. 
um, Joe Fields, Dan Alexander. I'm I'm just looking at the list right now. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie and tell you I can name these guys off the top Winston of my head. Hill? But yeah, Winston Hill, of course, Hall of Famer. Um, like these guys played over a decade, started most of their games, and were really good. So I and no, obviously no one talks about them, but I think that's probably the clear answer. It's not really a fun one though. I think I would stick with you with offensive linemen because, and I'm going to give my answer in just a second. I think there are plenty of great underrated jets that, you know, somebody will say something and they'll spark a memory and be like, Oh, what a great jet that was. I think like Leon Washington's a great example of a guy who is not going to get any recognition. Isn't a, a, never going to be a hall of famer. He's actually on the, the jets coaching staff, I believe. Um, but a great example of an underrated jet gave some, some great memories, especially returning kicks. Um, but as you, if you're going to go as far as talent versus recognition, I'm stuck between two guys here, two offensive linemen, more from my era, not Michael's grandpa's era. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Debrickashaw Ferguson. I, I was stuck between him and Nick Mangold. I think Mangold gets a little bit more um, praise. I, don't know, I feel like Brick gets plenty of praise. I don't Jets fans. I, maybe. But I, you could also factor in uh, league-wide recognition, and I think DeBrickishaw Ferguson is mostly known for his name than what he brought to the field. I mean, the fact that he only missed one snap, which was a at last play of the season, you know, trick play where they put Brad Smith at left tackle, and the whole the whole all eleven players were just fast guys; they could try to run a lateral. Um, that was the only snap he missed. Uh, I love the Brickshaw Ferguson. I think he was the the model of consistency. And when you look at Joe Douglas in that flight 2021, you look at his desk, he has a big picture of the Brickshaw Ferguson behind him. Former former offensive lineman and Joe Douglas recognizes how good the Brickshaw Ferguson is. Well, Michael, it's a hard question because I think to say the most underrated, are you trying to say the guy who gets no props at all? I'm trying to say the guy who gets talent versus recognition, the biggest disparity, I think it's the Brickshaw Ferguson who doesn't really get recognized as one of the best left tackles of, of um, 21st century. And I think he absolutely is. I think he is absolutely what you would look for um, in a left tackle. So do you have any other, I mean, I think offensive lineman is obviously the place to go. I'm, because I'm trying have... to think of recent history guys, not guys from before there was color TV. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess uh, Bilal Powell is a good one, but I feel like he gets yeah. that title so often that, it kind of cancels itself out, you know, like yeah. can he actually be underrated if everyone thinks he's underrated? Um, no, I don't. I Tony think... Richardson. Yeah. That's a solid one. Thomas Jones. I think Thomas Jones gets no love for what he did in 2009. I don't know. I feel, I feel like he gets his love. This is so hard because if for a player to be underrated, we have to not be oh, thinking I got about it. him I right got now. It. I got it. I have I have the ultimate answer. But he does get some some good love from from Jets fans. I think now Jericho Cotrip is going to be my answer. I think okay. I, I think that's the best answer because and especially when you look at what the Jets did. I mean, they went and replaced him with Derek Mason. They they valued the sign Santonio Holmes over him. They didn't really realize what he brought, and I think he was a quintessential jet. I think he is exactly what you'd want um, in a slot receiver. I mean, and, and look, he was the starting outside receiver for the jets for a few years as well. Um, I think Jericho Cotri is probably the most underrated guy. He gets no love at all. Um, I think he, he, I think he went to Pittsburgh and then Carolina. I think he played in that Super Bowl too, that Carolina Denver Super Bowl. but Cotri, I think is, is a good answer as far as underrated jets. Nobody talks about him that at least I see as far as jets fans go league wide, never really gets talked about, never gets the recognition, but that play against Cleveland where he injured himself and then, um, you know, still waited when and made a diving, amazing catch epitomizes the type of player he was. I think as far as underrated goes, I think he's a great answer as well. All, All right. right. Jeremy Curley. That's a pretty solid one. Yeah. No, I, you're going too much in the like unknown. Yeah, I, I, Jeremy Curley is a good player, but I think he gets an appropriate amount of recognition. Like, I, maybe even more so. Like, I think he was just, he was okay. Like, I don't want to. Wow. I scored, like Jeremy Curley. He scored less than two touchdowns per season with the Jets. All right, yeah. forget that answer. Yeah, you I will get, say you get the credit. He did have the, he did have the, the bit. He did have the uh, a bit of. Uh, a career renaissance in 2017. I remember he came back and wore 14, which was kind of weird. Yeah. Scored that touchdown against the Patriots before Austin Safarian Jenkins. That was a better away. number 14 than the next guy. Okay. All right. I shouldn't All have right. said that. Right. Hilarious. All right. At NZ jets, last question. Then we'll get out of here. If you had, <laughs> I'm kidding by the way. Okay. If you had to pass rush first, Makai Becton, 
100 reps in a row or pass block Quinn Williams 100 reps in a row? Which one are you doing? I mean, in turn, I think there's, there's two different ways to look at it. My odds of being successful and actually doing something productive on football field and my odds of physical well-being. So in terms of succeeding, I think pass rushing versus Becton is probably more doable. I don't think I would ever be able to stop Quinn Williams from getting past me or any oh. of us regular people. But I think What's if I'm pass call? blocking <laughs> Quinn Williams, then I could just get out the way and protect myself. But if I'm rushing okay, against that, Becton, a, I guess it doesn't really count as rushing unless I go up to him. So I think there's a oh, zero chance – I think there's probably a zero chance you get by Becton. Uh, I do think that it depends on the play. You don't call think is. you could do it one time out of a hundred? No, I don't think so. I what do think I could. I, maybe. Uh, I don't. Pro- maybe one. I do think that there's a chance you could hold. You could hold Quinn and Williams just long enough for a pass to get. Like that's why I said, what's the play call? Because if it's just a snap and throw, I think I can hold him back. You know, tie him up. But that doesn't count because then a tree could do it. No, 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 no. Okay, well, are we saying it's like a three-second drop back? No, okay, not four ex- verticals. No, like I think three to five, three seconds. Can I hold him for three seconds? I think I could do that to Quentin a few times, maybe like two or three times. You know, like you know, I've trained, I've trained some wrestling, jujitsu. I think I have some good body. Maybe leverage. you could. I don't think I could though. I think I have I think I have some good body leverage. I have no technique though. I think I could hold on to him just long enough where a QB could maybe get it off. But I think he'd probably succeed, you know, ninety eight percent of the time. So I think maybe I could hold him twice. I, I think if you, <laughs> oh, if so you like, gave oh, me if you gave oh, me 500, 500 chances, I'd be Becton once. Is there a ref? No, there's no, Michael. No there's ref. no chance you could be a six, seven, three hundred and sixty. One pound time, man. I'm just no, saying. No, it's one time. it's more likely you could just stall Quinn and Williams for three seconds than you could get by Mackay Beckton, which I don't think. I personally, I'm saying it a lot. I I think I could maybe stall Quinn for one rep. Mackay Beckton, I'm not getting by once. He I don't there's know. he's so. But you're so much smaller. It's hard for him to get his hands. Put it, on. it, put it like this. You're, you're an analytical guy. You're an really analytical well. guy. You're an analytical guy. Okay. Let's put it this way. On a given snap between an offensive, uh, an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, who's supposed to win the majority of the reps? The offensive lineman. Because it's yeah. a, a successful job or an unsuccessful day for an offensive lineman, they still win 90% of the reps, right? Yep. So uh, Mekhi Becton should win every rep against a, an NFL – or not every rep. He should win most reps against an NFL defensive end, which means I think he's going to win every single rep against you and I combined. I think against Quinnen, there's at least a chance that you could tie him up for long enough. Also, is there a ref? Yeah, you know, I think. Can I grab onto his shirt? Like, can I hold him? Let's Put him say over under. No <laughs> we need a handicap. But then they would be allowed Hit to hit him with some too. knees in the clinch. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, that's I think, a really good point. I, I appreciate that. But I think that there's just no, no way. Now you're just, just going to die on the pill. You're just going to die on the hill. There's Definitely. just no way Quinnen can't bull rush me every single time. <laughs> I'll never have an answer, but I think Becton once in a while, just, you know, he misses with his hands dip underneath him. Yeah. And then he would the just corner. sit on you. Like he would just push <laughs> you down to the ground. Like it, Michael, you no chance to get, all right. Tweet us at CYJ pod. Do you think you have a better chance of getting by Beckton or holding up Quinnen. I think I think out of 100 times, I could maybe hold up Quinnen once, at least. Um, that's, I mean, I shouldn't even say it. I think I could hold him once. I don't, Are you I don't playing think tackle or guard? Or is it just like one-on-one in the middle? One-on-one, one on one. yeah. You, you're just, you know, quarterback just says hike or somebody just snaps it. I don't know. I, I, get, I think it's just a one-on-one one rep, like the senior bowl. Somebody just says go. Yeah, I mean, he's going to abuse you most times. Yeah, this reminds me of that one tweet where it's like, you know, I could luck into a home run, but I could never block Quinn and Williams on no, a pass I, rush. I think, I think the only chance is, is, I mean, honestly, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. Tweet us at CYJ Pod your answer. I think it's a better chance that you can pass block Quinn and Williams or you can get by Mekhi Becton. I think Michael's crazy if you think you can get by 6'7", 370-pound Mekhi Becton, who could probably just win the whole rep with his right hand behind, tied behind his back. All right. I think it's time to get out of here. Um, you can follow well, – I already said it. You can follow us at CYJ Pod. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny and myself at Ben W. Blessington on Twitter. Um, 
Uh, you can Jets X Factor, the best place to go for Jets content. Like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Can you even like on iTunes? Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, I like on YouTube. So. Whatever. Um, we've been releasing on Thursdays. We've been doing um, an additional a bonus episode each week. We're going to keep that trend going. Right now we're just in our positional previews. Make sure to check out our linebacker one we did this past week. I thought that came out really well. Uh, running backs was the week before. I think we'll probably go back to offense this week. I think we'll do receivers probably this week. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And I think that's it. Michael, any last words? I don't know. Give me, give me a hundred reps. I could get no, past no, no chance. I think you're right that it's probably better for your, your health and well being. I think, I think Quinn and you're going to take some lumps. Like your head's going to bounce off the, the turf a few times just by getting body slammed. I think Makai, you could just kind of, you know, give a Muhammad Wilkerson 2017 type effort <laughs> and 2016 type effort and just kind of, you know, dance around a little bit. Um, but I think, I think Quinn and you have a better chance of succeeding, but yeah, if you're, if you're interested in not developing any CTE, then maybe <laughs> trying to pass rushing against Beckton's the better move. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a great week. Go Jets.